This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex reasons for that. He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping could take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam, and we're joined, as always, by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? I'm doing well, thank you. We're recording on Friday night, which is, uh, which is a bit of a different experience. So uh, this is a few days before we release next Wednesday, but that's because we're going to be catching up in, in, in real life, IRL, next week, Thomas, for a bit of a holiday. So I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow, in fact. Uh, so that'll be fun, but lots to get through today. Uh, don't forget the share market trading game, the ASX share market trading game starts tomorrow. So there's still time to register. In fact, you can register right up until the 28th of April. But why would you want to wait and miss out on all those gains that you're going to get early on in the game? So don't delay, go and register right now and join in the fun with us, part of the ASX share market trading game. But Thomas, on with the show Lots to get through, and starting with war, whoa, 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 what is it good for? Also, wages data is out, so we're going to find out how much extra you'll be getting in your pay packet now. Um, that's how it works, isn't it, Thomas? That's right. <laughs> um, we'll take a look at AGL, who find themselves in the proverbial crap sandwich. Uh, it doesn't know what to do, but it also doesn't want anyone else to tell it what to do. And I didn't really care about inflation, but now I hear it's going to push the price of beer up. I have a renewed zest to find out more. So I'll ask you a bit more about that later on. But Thomas, first of all, turns out there's more to the Lark Distillery story that we talked about last week than oh, meets yeah. the eye. And Thomas, I think it's fair to say you're the closest thing that we have to a lawyer. <laughs> so I'm just going to give you a bit of an update and you just let me know if we need to issue any sort of retraction or mm. any sort of apology or anything like that. But um, there is some more information that's come to hand since we recorded last week. So, so if you did miss the episode last week, we talked about the, the managing director, a uh, former managing director of Lark Distilling, Jeff Bainbridge, who was seemingly caught in a, a drug scandal in Southeast Asia in 2015. Well, it turns out that he made it up. Uh, that's the, the, best, the best way I can put it. He... He misled some reporters from The Age, and which published the story. I've got to be honest, our flimsy research failed to turn up any contradictions to the story um, <laughs> through you know, minutes and minutes of Googling um, to, to clarify the story. Uh, we, couldn't get to, we couldn't get to the bottom of it. Uh, so it turns out he's misled The Age um, and everyone else. So he said uh, it was a, a shakedown in a foreign city 
uh, and they'd, they'd used it to try and extort money out of him. He was at a party in Southeast Asia somewhere, woke up in the morning uh, and they showed him some video footage and he was in trouble. But mm. it turns out, there was an, uh, this has come to light in the last few days, that the video was actually shot sometime after 2020 mm. in his own bedroom <laughs> in an exclusive Melbourne suburb. So... <laughs> I don't know if that makes it better or worse. It's a, it's a much less interesting story. To my, to, it sounded so much more exotic when he was in Southeast Asia, you know, six uh, years the ago. Shakedown, the London Threat Sha- Assessment <laughs> Agency. I know. So mailers. I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know whether there's going to be more that'll come out. Um, the the story was written in the was was published in the Australian. I don't know if the Australian is just trying to really just take it as an opportunity to lay the boot into the age. There's maybe some kind of some some war going on there. It's not clear at all why he concocted this story in the first place because it doesn't seem like it makes it a better story. Oh uh, no, I, th- I think I think it's a much better story. That yeah, you think about he, he's he's lost his job right, so he's now mm. in the job market. Luckily, yeah. wages are up. Labor market's tight. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> but he's so he's in the job market again. He's going to a prospective employer. It's mm. like the question is, why did you leave your last job? Well, mm. I was a victim of a shakedown in Asia back in 2015. Sounds mm. a lot better than I got busted in my bedroom smoking ice. True. I, that's what I think he's. That's what I think his play is. Mm. But it's also kind of amazing he's managed to because he had sent he sent screenshots of a supposed conversation with the blackmailers to the age I think so they kind of went oh yeah right this this looks legit mm. but apparently they were just made up as well so he's just he's I, I mean maybe these are the things you do when you're high you just sit around making up fab, you know amazing <laughs> stories about your past <laughs> oh, you just picture him sitting there just banging out a, an editorial or something for the age going this would be great you watch where they print this. I was in Asia and there were ninjas coming in the window. Uh, anyway, so um, that's just a bit of an update. I thought we'd better clarify that because, uh, yeah, a few people have, have had mentioned that to me over the course of the last week. So I uh, thought we'd better clear it up. But I, of course, stand by any jokes I made on the matter last week, whatever they might have been. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, the ASX share market game kicks off tomorrow, as we've mentioned. Uh, there's still time to register. In fact, you can register right up until the 28th of April. So make sure you get on board, sign up, join in the fun. But, of course, the big news this week, and I think this is really important as we head into the ASX share market game, is that uh, Russia has invaded the Ukraine. It's all kicked off over there. And I think we should just take a look at what that means, I guess, Uh, globally across economies all over the world and I'm really keen also to understand what kind of impact uh, a global conflict like that might have in in our local share market so so as we're we're getting ready to play the game and we're we're thinking about stocks that might do well and stocks that that might not do well this kind of changes the whole landscape so you know a a conflict uh, albeit a long way away has obviously has far-reaching ramifications for the globe, but also for our, our share market here. And we saw a fairly significant impact in the ASX share market this week. So just keen to get your macro lens, Thomas, on on what a, what I guess that particular war means, but also what what we sort of what trends we might see from wars in general that come out of a conflict like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for that intro. I want to steer well clear of geopolitics because I'm way out of my depth there. <laughs> but I'll have a crack at the macro outlook. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to have a crack at geopolitics. <laughs> well, we're casting aspersions on former managing directors. Why not, <laughs> why not some presidents and uh, yeah. prime ministers while we're at it? <laughs> Yeah, and it's, it's it's an interesting one economically. Yeah, obviously war is pretty tragic. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty brutal. But interesting one, like markets reacted pretty badly to it. ASX is down three percent over the week. Definitely got the wobbles. To me, it's I think it's interesting because Russia's Russia's a heavy hitter on the in the geopolitical sense. It's got a mm. population of one hundred forty six million. It's got a lot of natural resources and gas. It's historically been a very powerful nation. But while it's a heavy hitter geopolitically, it's kind of a welterweight in the in an economic sense. So, you know, like Italy has half the population and fewer natural resources and has an economy twice the size of Russia. Yeah, wow. yeah and Poland exports more goods to the European Union than Russia does. Hmm. And so, yeah, and like unlike China, is probably the, you know, the interesting counterpoint right now, but like the Russian manufacturing sector isn't, isn't all that much to speak of there's you know you turn over anything in your house and it's not going to say made in russia (laughs) (laughs) it's probably going to say made in china we have some we have a set of russian babushka dolls which are made in russia (laughs) oh they were yeah fun fact yeah anna Anna bought them when she was touring holidaying in uh wherever russia yeah right So the so the point is like economically it's not it's not that significant. Where it is significant is with oil and gas and natural resources. I love a quote I read during the week. Jason Furman, who's a Harvard economist and a, a former advisor to Barack Obama, he said it's basically just a big gas station. It's, right. Russia is incredibly unimportant in the global economy except for oil and gas. Right. Um, and so that's sort of where it gets interesting. Oil prices are up, but not all that much. It's sort of more of an issue for Europe. But Europe doesn't have a lot of oil risk. Europe has more gas risk. Europe gets 40% of its natural gas resources from Russia. Mm. And we talked about this a little bit last year. There's a bit of a gas crisis the last year in Europe. The winter turned out to be not as bad as people feared. And so European reserves are at about 30%. And most people seem to think that'll, that'll get Europe through the winter as long as there isn't a another cold snap or a war <laughs> or a war <laughs> now that seems to be priced in already actually. <laughs> right. okay because they've got a big gas pipeline something running through russia don't they well not anymore there was the nord 2 gas pipeline yeah. to to europe that uh, mm. germany's pulled the plug on that saying that's not happening now oh right um yeah so it probably means europe's gonna <laughs> germany's funny <laughs> germany I, I was watching the news last night and they're talking about all these countries that have chipped in um, defensive weaponry. So, you know, they can't, they can't go and fight for Ukraine directly because they're not part of NATO. Um, they're talking about all these countries that, that chipped in defensive weaponry. Apparently, Germany sent some helmets. <laughs> That's it. It's That's helmets. It. Here you go. Right. Watch out. Things might be falling from the sky. <laughs> Better wear a helmet. Yeah. Yeah, so Russia's not all that all that sort of heavy. I mean, it's interesting in the sense that it's energy's it has an impact on energy and the whole energy market because it's interconnected. Um, it's probably going to have an impact on the wheat market because the Ukraine and Russia together account for twenty five percent of global wheat exports. Yeah, and but you think about that. So if that drives energy prices higher and that drives wheat prices higher, they're both good news stories for Australia to an extent that our exporters can capitalize on those higher prices. So in that sense, like, it was interesting that markets got the wobbles 
this week because it's not clear to me directly what the impact on Australian shares is or the, the impact on the Australian corporate sector. Obviously, no one likes volatility and there's sort of uncertainty. And that's probably the big thing is no real way of knowing how this is all going to play out. But in terms of direct impact, there's not a lot of direct negatives and then some potential direct positives in terms of like, yeah, revenue and profits. So. Tell you what was a direct negative was my my crypto portfolio took a hit. <laughs> yeah, not, not such a safe not, haven. I've not <laughs> a great safe haven. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. Digital gold, I believe it was being sold as at one point. Yeah. Um, so gold was up, crypto not so much up. No, uh, very much down. No. Uh, um, I think it's a it's an interesting point. So I've been looking at a fair bit of this this week, and I reckon one of the plays might be here cybersecurity. So I mean this this war is um has already seen so we're, we're Friday, you know, at the end of end of the week. Um uh, we've already seen three significant cyber attacks from uh well we can't say for sure that it was Russia but against the Ukraine which you know if you look at the timelines and you read between the lines it's pretty it's almost definitely Russia. So um, so there's been three major cyber attacks already. There's bound to be more. They're shutting down banks and targeting government agencies. So they're trying, Russia as part of their war on Ukraine, are really trying to cripple the Ukraine's ability to mobilize, you know, their resources against Russia. So that by shutting down their computer systems and networks, then and the, the government's agencies, they're removing their kind of agility to respond and, and fight the war. And I think, to me, this this is like, potentially a really good time to look at some cybersecurity kind of stocks and look at things like the hack ETF and things like that in Australia because it, Russia has a history here, right? Russia's got a history of not being um, overly in control of their cyber warfare. So they can be a bit reckless when they're firing off their cyber weapons. They're not, they're not so careful about who they're hitting. So we saw it with, there was an attack called NotPetya, which was in 2017, I think. Um, so that was, that was Russia targeting Ukraine. And the idea was that this kind of malware, this virus would spread through computer systems and, and disable Ukraine's computer systems. Unfortunately, they wrote it really well and it spread, but it spread far too well. And it just, it wreaked havoc across the entire world. So you know, there's this kind of track record here. There's a lot of things that are lining up to me that kind of go, you know what, getting involved in some cybersecurity companies at the moment might be a good play. And if we looked at, I had a quick look before, and that, that hack ETF that I mentioned, that's up for the week. You know, that's up... Uh, where it was 7% it? today, 7%, wasn't it? 7%, yeah. So 7% today, but a lot of that was bounced back. But it's up 2% mm. for the week. Um, it's not sort of, I don't know. I mean, it's generally trends up anyway, but... Um, and of course, not financial advice. This is just me being, you know, speculative. I, I had a, so I had, a, I had a question about this. I was wondering this as well. Mm. But like, if if there's more cyber attacks in the world, does that mm. translate to more revenue for cybersecurity firms, or do people like just buy? Oh yeah, I would think so. Well, I imagine it's like well, for like the old days of antivirus when I used to have a PC. I'd buy the antivirus protection, mm. and then they. The company that I buy it from would then deal with the viruses in the background and just send me updates. So, like, if there's more, <laughs> if there's more viruses, that means there's more work for mm. them. But I'm not paying more to protect myself from more viruses, right? Or has the world moved on from this? Oh, oh, oh dear, sweet Thomas. Oh. 
<laughs> oh, you're so naive. <laughs> so we're not really talking. We're not really talking about viruses anymore. We're we're talking about malware and kind of targeted attacks. And so viruses were were very much. I don't know. They're mostly signature based. So so you would your your virus um, software that you bought had a bunch of signatures in it that it would look to detect. Now it's much more targeted towards you know detecting behaviors so it's it's ai it's kind of looking at looking for malicious behaviors that are that are taking place on your computer system but your scope is far too narrow for what most people are, who are invest who are going to be going to a cyber company are talking about they're really talking about defensive weapons against uh. cyber attacks and these attacks are not you know not typically just a virus that gets in there they're malware that spreads or in 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 worst cases they're kind of direct you know, targeted attacks. And so, yeah, I, I think the more prevalent it becomes and the more cyber threats that are out there, then, yeah, absolutely revenue generating for cyber mm. companies. And that's and you've seen it, you know, in the last year or two years, you know, ransomware's on the rise, malware's on the rise, um, and the, the value of these cyber companies who can defend against those things has kind of gone up as well. And my feeling is that this war potentially just takes that to another level, just kind of kicks it up a gear. So, um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, but I think this war in particular, it could be the sort of, you know, a really very, very cyber heavy, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not exactly a bold prediction. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, they're going to use computers in this <laughs> war, are they? Like, um, yeah, but I, I think, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see a bit of a halo effect from it, where people just go, "Wow, that happened!" And because as soon as as soon as someone gets hacked, everyone looks at how it happened, what happened, and they go, "Right, what do we need to do to protect ourselves against that? Um, what do we need to do to make sure that we don't we don't you know suffer the same fate?" So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think yeah. Um, that potentially is is yeah. a, a big winner out of this. Go long cyber, or buy tanks. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if you if you do think that there's going to be a massive impact from cybersecurity companies like me, then perhaps if you are playing the ASX game this week, um, some of the some of the companies on the ASX, there's obviously a lot of them, uh, a lot of international companies, but some of the ones you might want to look out for on the ASX: uh, Tesserant Limited, ASX TNT, Whitehawk Limited, WHK, and ArcTIS Limited, AR9. So there's a few of those that you might want to keep an eye on. Uh, certainly not a buy, hold, or sell recommendation from my portfolio. I'll be going far more speculative than that. Uh, but yeah, if you are playing along then and you think cybersecurity might do well in the next few weeks, then they, they would certainly be ones to look out for. Right, Thomas, wages data is out this week. What did we learn from our wages yeah, data? Yeah, it came in a bit softer than most people are expecting. 065 in the December quarter, 2.3% over the year. Um, this is up a lot from where it was 1.36% in the year to September 2020. So just before like around COVID times when that was hitting. So that was the all time low and it's bounced up since then. But pretty soft number overall 2.3%. So remember, RBA saying they want to see wages in the three to 4% band before they're confident that we've got sustained inflation on the cards. So they're looking for a, you know strong threes and 2.3% is a long way from that. So, yeah, so the wages is definitely not strong enough yet to, to trigger rate hikes on the, on the RBA's logic that they've been talking about recently. Can, they, can the RBA, can they control or can the government control wages growth? Like, is that something that anyone can kind of, because that's mm, what we're talking mm. about, right? The 2% is how much their wages, I don't know, how do they even measure that? Like they just, yeah, I mean, 
Good job ads. Yeah, I don't. Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's a statistical question, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the interesting about the wage price index. <laughs> Even economists get bored by yeah. statistics. No, I mean, this is the wage price index WPI. That's that measures like for like jobs. Right. So they track the same job, and then track how much it's going up over time. So it's kind of it's kind of interesting because right. we also in the week got the um, average weekly earnings, which is another series that the ABS publishes. But that doesn't mm. measure like-for-like like jobs. That measures just what the average person's earning. And so if people are, say, like, if you can have this theoretical situation where like-for-like like jobs are flat, they're not changing, but people are, mm. are graduating into higher-paying roles and wages go up as a result because, they're, because right. the mix of jobs is changing. There's a composition effect. So there's no composition effect in the wage price index, but there is an average weekly earnings. And average weekly earnings came out much stronger. They were up like 3.8%. And remember, right. we were talking about like the great reshuffle. So there was treasury analysis that showed that in the December quarter, 300,000 people had moved on to a better job. They found that those people on average got an 8 to 10% pay rise when they changed jobs. So that might be why there's a, might be a little bit of a mismatch here that, yeah, people are finding better paying jobs, mm. but the jobs themselves aren't changing. So it's not showing up in the wage price index. Yeah, mm. okay. So that is a bit of a softer mm. number. So then everyone's happy with that number then, like that we weren't wanting. If inflation's rising, don't we want higher wages? People do. Economists don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you economists. <laughs> you wet blanket. Far out. Just let us have some money, would you? Yeah. I mean, this this is this is sort of the thing in the like. So re, yeah. Well, like, yeah, I think you know people could potentially be a bit like there's a there's an argument to be a bit angry about the way the system's set up. So real wages are now falling because inflation's growing faster than wages. The ACTU came out and said that a person earning $68,000 a year had suffered an $832 pay cut in real terms over the past year, thanks to inflation. So not massive, but they're going backwards. Yeah, right. yeah but they're saying like there's inflation, but Phil, Phil Lowe is saying, I'm, I'm waiting for wages inflation before I raise interest rates. So kind of it's, it's the other way of framing that is like, I'm waiting for people to start catching up to inflation, and then I'm going to jump on them with, with rate hikes. Right. So it's, it's yeah. a bit like, eh. Not yeah, not very nice. No, no, not <laughs> when you frame it like that. Yeah, gives us nothing to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like it erodes you. It erodes your purchasing power, and then once you start to catch up through wage hikes, mm. then you get interest rate hikes. Which yeah, because most people would be celebrating, would be cheering. You got a pay rise. Woohoo! Yeah, and then but just subtly, ever so subtly, there's Phil Lowe just in the background, going <laughs> rubbing his hands together, <laughs> coming for you. <laughs> Nice wage gain you've got there. <laughs> no. Be shame if someone hiked it out of existence. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, but it sort of it put pay to the idea. Like you remember, like a few months at the start of the year, people markets were looking for thought there was a hundred percent probability of a rate hike by June. Mm. That's now seems totally off the cards. So you're gonna have to see strong wage prints in may and then follow that up in august i think both of those are going to have to print above three percent which would be quite phenomenal from here mm. um before the way for the rba hikes rates. so it's looking to me like there's no case for the rba to hike rates particularly with the ukraine and all the uncertainty that's created around there mm. there's no pressure here for the rba to, to hike and so i think end of the year at the earliest probably as they were saying in 2023 
at, mm. on, on the current data. So I, I fixed my home loan a couple of years ago mm. and it's coming out um, like I fixed for two years and that ends in June this year. But I was having a look around today at some rates and they're all, they're all well up. Oh, yeah, fixed rates so, are popped. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the, but, even, but even the variable rates, you know, like mm. so, so they're all going up mm. even though, even though the, the money's not going up, even though the RBA rate's not going up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So working on a different program. They're already after my, my wage rise, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which hasn't come yet. <laughs> it was one of the things the RBA did. They, they dropped rates to the floor and then they're like, okay, we've hit rock bottom. How do we, what else can we do? Mm. And one of the things they would do is they just fed banks money directly through the term funding facility so long as they lent mm. it on in mortgages, which pushed mortgage rates even lower, particularly for fixed rates. So that, yeah, but that right. term funding facilities wound up. So that's why fixed rates are popped. Variable rates are rising as well. Yeah, but it's, and there's quite a, there's a substantial amount because fixed rates went so low. A lot of people went to fixed rates, and mm. there's a real substantial amount of those fixed rates reverting to variables over the next twelve months. Um, yeah. So the economy is, is effectively already having a rate hike effect, particularly for the housing market. Just because no one no one believed Phil. Mm. All right, let's take a break here. We'll grab a word from this week's sponsor and be back with more comedian versus economist right after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, if you have been living under a rock, of course, the ASX share market game kicks off this week. We've been talking about it. We're excited about it. And maybe you're thinking about some energy stocks. Maybe you're thinking about... I don't know, perhaps you're looking at AGL as a potential buy in the ASX share market game. You think that's going to do well. Well, they've been in the news this week. Uh, Atlassian founder Mike Cannon-Brooks decided to make a play. He said, look, AGL, you guys are struggling. You need some help. You're not going to get your coal plants shut down. Uh, I think I can do it. And he offered to buy them for a fairly significant sum of money. So perhaps people are looking to buy them during the share market game. Thomas, what did you make of the news this week? Yeah, so he... Cannon Brooks, in a partnership with Brookfield, put in a $5 billion bid for AGL. AGL is Australia's largest power company, does generation and retail. Um, mm. Yeah, and it was a bit of bit of a low bid, apparently. So, yeah, if you look at, they, they were offering $7.50 a share. Um, yeah, two years ago, at, as the pandemic was breaking, AGL was trading above $20 a share. Um, it's traded mostly above $13 a share for the past decade. So, 
$7.50 would be a bargain. The AGL board rejected the bid, said, no, nah, that's way too cheap. We're knocking it back, which they did. That's their current share price, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm insulted. Where'd you come up with that number? Uh, your current share price over there. <laughs> I just Googled it. <laughs> Yeah, but but right. norm, normally you have a what's called a control premium. So when you, get, you buy out a company, because you've got to buy all the shares at once, effectively, you need to, you know, there's a premium. Could be, and it could be like 30, 40, 50%. Um, so, but they, they didn't offer that. So the AGL's energy boss, Graham Hunt, saying it was kind of ridiculous, underpriced and unrealistic, was what he said, because it's, mm. it's, it's just too cheap. Um, but that said, that is currently what they're trading with and AGL has some serious issues that they've got to deal with. Like they've got the two arms, they've got the retail and the generation. The retail's strong, they've got 4 million customers, they're the biggest retailer in the country. What does that mean? What does that mean, the retail side of AGL? So like there are other retailers only, people who just sell the energy, they don't make yeah. it, whereas AGL do both, is that yeah, what we're saying? that's right, that's right, that's right. Right, yeah. okay. Because I couldn't work it. Because I know they're in, I know they're in broadband and mobile now. And I was like, surely their broadband and mobile business isn't worth like <laughs> <laughs> that many billions of dollars. No, no, no. But their their retail, their retail right. is yeah, the retail is. But the, but the okay. generation business is in trouble. So they've got two two coal fire powered stations, Bayswater and mm. Loy Yang A, um, and they're both due to be decommissioned, but. Yeah, Bayswater between 2030 and 2033, and then Loyang A between 2040 and 2045. So still in the distance, but right. but coal generation is struggling right now because uh, renewables are just coming in so much cheaper, particularly in the day when, when solar's mm. online, coal's really struggling. And you had Origin Energy announce the early retirement of Eraring in the same week, they're going to bring that forward seven years earlier than expected. And kind of saying at, at current market prices, they're just losing money on it. Um, and so they're going to wind it up. And, right. And that was, that was Cannon Brooks's approach, wasn't it? It was like, I'll wrap it all up for mm. you. Like I'll buy it and I'll accelerate it. And yeah. um, I think he said 2035. He's like, we'll have it all done. No, 2030. 2030. He's going to 2030. Yeah, very ambitious. Yeah, so it's ambitious, but he's saying it's, there's no new tech. It's all existing tech. So he's not relying on some magical tech being invented in the meantime. It's it's just all right. Yeah, it's all all with the, all with the current tech. But there's sort of so AGL's current plan is to to split off the generation and the retail businesses and create separate businesses. Mm, I read mm, that. The retail business become yeah. AGL Australia, and the generation arm becomes Acel. But Markets don't really love this idea or a lot of big investors mm. don't really love this idea. And part of uh, sort of the criticism of it is you're just sort of hiving off this bad business, a cell to die a slow carbon intensive death. <laughs> <laughs> While the retail arm goes on and does great things. You just go, over, go over there and choke on your own coal <laughs> until you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. and uh, but then an ACL without the like as uh, in its current form, AGL because it has the retail business, has all the cash flow that comes with that. It has the has the capacity to decarbonize those assets, to move out, to shut down the coal plants, and move into renewables. But if you split them off, ACL alone doesn't have that ability, and that's what Cannon Brooks is saying. Is saying like if you demerge it, it's impossible for ACL to to pivot into renewables. Its only option is to just sit with these coal assets and coal plants until they become redundant. 
but we'll hang on to them as right. long as possible. And this, and this is. Mm. I read something similar. There was a big, there's a UK investor at Snowcap, I think it is, that said, um, that said the same thing. Like it would, that they're going to destroy like eleven billion dollars of value in five years by failing. You know, if they went ahead with the demerger, mm. with the with the split. Yeah. Um, so no one's no one's in favour of. I mean, yeah. this is just well, one yeah. investor or investment. Graham firm. Hunt's in favour of it. He's keen, but is he? Who's Graham he's Hunt? He's the CEO. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's AGL's plan, but yeah, it's got it's it's got critics. Wouldn't be any bonuses attached to a successful demerger by any chance? Probably is. <laughs> You bet he's not going to end up as a CEO of ACEL, that's for sure. <laughs> as long as he doesn't end up in a party in Southeast Asia in 2015, <laughs> he should be all right. Yeah, well, well the, that snowcap, they said that AGL was in denial mm. about their situation. They, they, they've called out AGL big time. They're like, you guys are in denial about the underperformance of the company, mm. um, which is not surprising because AGL is 185 years old. Is and that right? I don't know if you remember trying to get Grandpa to agree to going into a nursing home, but there was no way he was agreeing to that. He couldn't, he couldn't even tempt him with decarbonisation. He was just, he just wasn't having We're it. We're going to demerge you from the house, Grandad. <laughs> when you're dealing with this kind of vintage, you need to just, you might need a different, a different approach. The, the other thing I like about what what Brookfield are saying and 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 they're doing these they're doing projects like this all over the world and their their philosophy is saying it's not good enough for companies to meet environmental objectives by just hiving off their bad assets and making it someone else's problem and that's effectively what AGL right. does like in the demerger story like you have a retail arm that goes yeah we're great we're green we're doing awesome things but then you've got this you've left the market still has this you know high carbon intensive asset just sitting around waiting to die and so you're not actually making you're not transitioning you're just making it someone else's problem and so <laughs> you're just giving yourself a plausible excuse when someone comes <laughs> ask you like it's not ours anymore we we gave it away we sold yeah. it it's not it's not up to mm. us yeah it's like yeah yeah but yeah but so but that's yeah. what they're saying they could they can make this transition happen canon brooks is saying that the proposal was to buy it with five billion and then invest another 20 billion so four times as much as they're buying it for in in that transition in creating those renewable assets. So, yeah. So mm-hmm. they've knocked it back for now, but it's definitely on the table and it's definitely front and center in the election, which which might have been one of their agendas as well. But we'll see. Right. That right, puts it on the table. Obviously, everyone's everyone's all over it, but AGL have already forgot it happened. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly food for thought, though, if you are considering putting any energy stocks into your portfolio, maybe have a look at AGL, see what they're doing, see whether the demerger might make sense. That that could all kick off soon. Who knows? Maybe someone will buy the company, uh, and that's the kind of thing that could send the the share price pretty quickly one way or the other. So uh, have a think about that if you are playing along in the ASX share market game this week, and we hope that you are. Don't forget, there's still time to register right up until the 28th of April. So hopefully you'll join us. All right, Thomas, in case the news today isn't bad enough already, we've got wars, we've got inflation, the price of beer is going to go up. The fifth horseman of the apocalypse, rising beer prices. (laughs) This is how it ends. (laughs) This is how it ends. Uh, War, famine, and no one can get a cold one. Mm. Uh, What's what's that? Is this just an inflation story? Yeah, Heineken. Yeah, so Heineken 
had their results. Their, their profit jumped in 2021 from 1.15 billion euros to 2 billion euros, almost doubled their profits in 2021. Good story there. But right. the CEO, Dolph Vandenbrink, uh, is warning of there's hikes to beer prices and possible shortage. He says cost inflation is off the charts. Um, I was going to share a chart to the uh, Instagram, but it didn't fit. <laughs> didn't fit. That has to be the worst excuse in technological history for not sharing something to Instagram. I couldn't. It was off the charts. I was going to share this on my social page. Have you seen the stuff people share, Thomas? <laughs> it's not a high benchmark. It's not a, it's not a high bar for quality on Instagram. If, I'm not sure whether you, whether you use it much, but just feel free to share it. People will shout you down, obviously, but... You know, don't be shy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Didn't fit. No, but see, Heineken saying the input costs are up in the mid-teen percentage this year. So, yeah, right. so that's substantial, I guess. Um, yeah, in my 24 yeah. years in the business, I've never seen anything like it, not even close. Across the board, we are faced with crazy increases. And not only is that, there might be shortages. It's like there's a whole notion of can you actually get it at any price? You've got shortages of truck drivers, everybody's scrambling to get their products moved, ocean freight is completely out of sync. So far, there's only been pockets of shortages, but risks are going up daily because of the global supply chain disruptions. And this was all before the Ukraine story started playing out. So Yeah, I was, well, I was going to say, I mean, if beer's going up, maybe it's time to switch to something heavy, like, like something harder vodka. like vodka, but that's not going <laughs> to no, work uh, out, is it? <laughs> Can't get any vodka either. Yeah. Um, what, what I found interesting about this story is saying, like, because when, when, when companies report, they normally give some forward guidance and say, like, this is where we think the company's mm. going. This is where we expect profits to be next year. This is where we expect revenue. And he's saying, look, it's really hard right now because there's no model that can handle this kind of inflation. Uh, it's anybody guess what the impact is going to be on the volumes due to all these price increases. So normally there's this idea of in economics called elasticity. And so when price goes up, when the price of something goes up, people generally buy less. But how much less they buy is what you call elasticity. Um, and so they, these beer companies would have very sophisticated models. It would model this very closely. They would know that if they increased the price per tinny of ten, by 10 cents, they'd, they'd have a clear, pretty clear idea of how much less people are going to buy. Um, mm. But he's saying right now we've got no idea. It's just such a different environment. We've, every, every, everything's changing. There's people like we've got costs are on the rise, but then people have more savings. So maybe that balances out. We just don't know. And it's a really hard time to see through, see through the fog of this right now. You could take some confidence though, because like when we had all the lockdowns, like, you know, bottles were still open. Like they were, pretty much, they were considered an essential service. So, so, you know, like at one point there, I'm pretty sure there was only hospitals, supermarkets and bottles <laughs> open. Like, yeah. I think I think people will people will be pretty forgiving for a fair while about a price increase in beer. They're not going to be happy about mm, it, mm. but but I mean I don't know. Maybe they back it off a bit. Um, maybe they switch. Maybe they go to Strongbow. Heineken owns Strongbow, by the way. But mate, Strongbow. Mm. Yeah, people still drink Strongbow. I don't know. That was the transition from soft drink to beer for most most teenagers. Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> start with a few. <laughs> Start with a few strongbows, maybe chuck in a couple of West Coast coolers, <laughs> and before you know it, you, you, you're drinking beer. Um, 
Yeah, mm. right. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think that was still yeah. around. But yeah, so maybe maybe people, um, if, if beer prices go up, they, maybe people switch. Maybe they go go to Strongbow. Maybe they go to vodka. Maybe they go something else. We talked last week, that, and we I learned that Australia is food sovereign. Mm, right? Mm. Is like is there a like do we check for beer sovereignty or, or alcohol sovereignty? Yeah, I think I think Canberra has a stockpile in central deserts. <laughs> Case of emergency. <laughs> Next to the fireworks factory. <laughs> really? No, I don't, no, of course we don't have a stock <laughs> no. reserve stockpile of beer. Well, I don't think so. No, but we make it. Yeah, we make, we it, make here. it Yeah. You know? Like, we, we don't need to import Heineken. We've got plenty of good beers here. But Cooper's in South Australia is one of the best beers in the world. Yeah, Cooper's been around forever. I mean, I guess I guess we grow all the, the things that go into beer, right? There's nothing. We've got sugar. We've yeah. got hops. We've got, yeah, I'm, yeah, beer sovereign, sure. Well, I think we should, there should be, if there's not an economic model or whatever you call it for that, then there's an opportunity here, Thomas. You could reassure the, the people of Australia with one of, if your other chart won't fit, <laughs> maybe you could reassure people with the, with something around beer sovereignty. Yeah. All right, that, uh, that does us for this week on Comedian versus Economist. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join us for the share market trading game from tomorrow. If you're listening to this on Wednesday the 2nd, it all starts tomorrow. Uh, don't forget, of course, lots of other great shows across Equity Mates Media. Get Started Investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast, You're in Good Company, Talk Money To Me, Crypto Curious, so much to listen to, Spoiled for Choice. We hope you've enjoyed this show. Uh, we look forward to your company again next week. Until then, it's bye for now. Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Comedian vs Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. <laughs>